Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. To Deuteronomy, we will finish up Deuteronomy this morning. No amens or hallelujahs, please. Deuteronomy chapter 31 through 34, as we're going to look at our eighth and final message on Moses' final words. What advice? Let me ask you this. What advice would you give to your children? If you knew that your time was short, maybe it's a week, months, maybe a few days, what advice would you give to your children to help them understand. Oh, by the way, we do have the children's uh, worship sheet, sheets in the back. And if they fill that out at the end of the service, they will be getting a, uh, they will be getting a uh, prize. So if you haven't done that, feel, feel free to grab one. I think you'll enjoy the prize. So make sure you do it. If you're an adult, you may not. You, didn't, you can fill it out, but you don't get a prize. <laughs> and plus, we don't have time for someone to help you with the math. So. But what advice would you give to your children? What would you give maybe to your grandchildren or something you say, I need you to pass it down. What if you were able to speak to your future descendants? That's actually an oxymoron, isn't it? Future descendants, but your descendants. What would you share with them? What, have you, what, what, what experience, what wisdom, what suffering or lessons of life have you learned that you would say, this is important. All that I have here is the best thing that I can give to you that will lead to prosperous living to limiting your suffering, maybe escaping some of the problems that you had to endure. What would that be? What would those words be? That's a hard question, isn't it? For some of us, we're still learning. For maybe many of us, we still haven't learned those hard lessons. We're, we're in a cycle of repeating the same thing. We're still, we're ourselves are still learning and trying to understand the answers, and maybe even the questions ourselves. Back in 1986, Robert Fulgham wrote a popular book. Some of you might remember this. All I really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Anyone know of that book or heard of it? In his book, he lists lessons normally learned in American kindergarten classrooms. And he explains how the world would be improved if adults would just adhere to the same basic rules as children. Rules such as share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that are yours, say you're sorry when you hurt someone, wash your hands before you eat, flush Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold both hands or hold hands and stick together. Those are some pretty good life lessons. That I think that if we still adhere to them, life in America and not our own world and even maybe even our own marriages and families would be much different. All that I really needed to learn in life, I lived or learned in kindergarten. Most, most, probably most of us would agree with all of these, especially that warm cookies and cold milk are good for everyone. Amen? I'll take that. They are good words of advice. Maybe we even wish that life was simpler back then. Like it was in kindergarten. 
when taking afternoon, afternoon naps were not only something that was accepted, but actually, actually required. However, as any parent and astute observer of human nature can attest that somehow, somewhere, we tend to lose, ignore, or even reject these wonderful little truths and life lessons. We look around the world today and we wonder, where did we go wrong? And this is so, this is not election after election message, but you can see it happening now into the world. Where did we go wrong? When did we lose these principles and these truths and these lessons that we used to agree on and believe on and teach each other? What happened to our children's, our marriages? and our communities. Again, Robert Fulgman captures this phenomenon when he writes, it doesn't matter what you say you believe, it only matters what you do. It doesn't matter what you say you believe, it only matters what you do. So when we look at our communities, our marriages, and maybe even our children and wonder, what has happened to their life? Why are they doing the same mistakes as I do? You know, don't do as I say, but do as, or do as I say, not as I do. It's because that's what we lived. We have not exhibited, we have not practiced it. They have seen our hypocrisy, they've seen our failures, and even though they may say, I will never be like my dad, I will never be like my mom, or I will never be like that, what do we do? One day we look in the mirror and we see that. We hear our dad's voice or our mother's voice coming out of our mouth when we're speaking to our children and maybe to our spouse. Now, though he is writing from a secular point of view, speaking of Robert Fulgham, he perfectly exhibits the truth that the Apostle Paul writes of in Romans. When Paul writes, for the Gentiles who do not have the law, speaking of the law of God, the Mosaic law, by nature do what the law requires, they show that the work of law is written on their hearts. So we as Gentiles, we are no longer under that law. We are not Jewish people. We we did not receive that in that time and day. It was for specific people, for a specific time, in a specific land. We spoke of that over the last few weeks. We recognize, though, that the general works of the law are written on our heart. So Robert Fulgham could write these things about what I learned in kindergarten and be perfectly good with what Scripture or aligned with what Scripture is telling us to do. In Deuteronomy, Yahweh has, through the leadership of Moses, had been calling the Hebrew children to be faithful to the covenant he has made with them at Mount Sinai after rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. Moses has been reminding them of the law that promises them blessings, successes, and fruitfulness if they worship the Lord through obedience. Last week, we finished Moses' second sermon that included both warnings and ultimatums for disobedience, along with the promises of restoration and forgiveness when they repent. We also saw a glimpse, just a glimpse of the new covenant that you and I are living under as God promised to circumcise their hearts that will enable them to follow his commands, something that the old covenant could not do. 
Today we're going to finish the third sermon of Moses and with it the book of Deuteronomy. For some this is an eight-week journey, has been an eye-opening experience and very productive. For some others you have endured these eight weeks and are looking forward to the end and receiving your I survived the book of Deuteronomy t-shirt or coffee mug. They will be in the back as you leave. In any case I pray that you've come to realize that even Deuteronomy is the inspired word of God. And as the word of God, it is part of the sacred writings and is profitable and is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Even the Old Testament points us to the cross. Today we will look at Moses' final words as his ministry to the Hebrew children is coming to a close. With that, we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 32. And you're going to need your Bibles today. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. We're going to be turning to some. This here is going to be on the monitor, but Deuteronomy chapter 32. Starting with verse 1. Moses writes this song that the Lord gives him. And here he sings, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like the showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright as he. This is the word of God. This is our God. Lord, we pray as we come and close this book that it not be forgotten. But Father, like the, the ancient tribe of Israel, we are to remember these words for they are inspired. And they are for to point us towards the salvation that comes in the New Testament. We thank you for this book. We thank you for the opportunity to read it, to under, try to work our way through it to understand it. And I pray that you be with us as we close it, Lord, that we be thankful for this book. We rejoice in the truth this has. But above all, Lord, that we will respond to what it might be calling us to do through the Holy Spirit. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to chapter 31, Moses recognizes that his time on earth is near. His time on earth is coming near to the end. Look at chapter 31, just back to one chapter. You were in 32, now back to 31. Look with me in verse 2, where Moses says, I'm 120 years old today. Could you imagine that? I, I couldn't imagine that. 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. Now, that is not speaking of age, but that's speaking of the judgment that he knows is coming soon as his life will end because God will be taking it. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over to this Jordan. Remember, because of his sin of striking the rock instead of speaking it, God says that you will be judged for that. You will not be able to go into the promised land. Moses knows that that end is near. And so he knows that he only has uh, maybe just a few days, maybe a precious hours maybe even left with, with these people. He's been leading them now for, for 40 long years. And he's ready to, to let them go into the promised land. And he wants them to go in and receive the blessings of God. And knowing this, he wants to prepare the people and Joshua, who will be tasked with leading them into the conquering the land. <clears throat> Remember, this land is, is teeming with what they said were giants in the land. 
Their parents had said, we are like grasshopper, uh, grasshoppers. Our children would be, will be eaten and, 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 and consumed by these people. Well, here are those children, right? They have grown up. They are now men of war and they are ready now to do what their parents were too afraid to do. Ready to cross over. And they are going to have to take that land by force. Some will be given to them, but they do know that the Lord will go forward. But they know that there is suffering. There is going to be fighting, testing going on. But Moses wants to encourage them. He wants to give them his final words, his last words. He wants them to take this with them so they may be encouraged and strengthened. So looking in verse 31, look at verse 3. We read that Moses says, The Lord your God himself will go over you. You are not alone. What great words. I think that's something we may want to say to our children each and every day and to those. You are not alone. The Lord God goes with you. And I believe that God blesses the children of his children. Whether they have come to a knowledge of God or not. He says, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dis dispossess them. And Joshua will go over as your head. He will take my place as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them, in verse 4, as he did to Shion and Og, the kings of the Amorites. We saw this in, in uh, Numbers last year. And to their land when he destroyed them. Verse 5. And the Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. By the way, parents, this is great words to share. If you have any final words, these would be great final words. He then proceeds to commission Joshua to lead them. But he also gives them instructions to read the Torah, the law, every seven years. As they were to gather every seven years in the presence of the whole people, the Feast, feast of Booths, he says, I, I need you to take this law and read it. Look at with me in verse 12. <coughs> he calls them, assemble the people. It wasn't the Avengers that were first assembled. It was the people of God. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones the sojourners within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children whom have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to possess. Yahweh then instructs Moses then to write a song that will serve as a history lesson to remind them of all the wonderful things that the Lord has done for them. The song can be found in chapter 32 that we just read a moment ago, a portion of it. In Yahweh's declaration that he alone is God. By the way, uh, chapter 32 is a great verse to read as a family devotion. Look with me at verse 39 of chapter 32. Where Moses is writing, singing this song, See now that I, even I, am he, speaking of Yahweh the Lord. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver you or deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hands to the heavens and swear I live forever. 
These are important words. These are important concepts and truths that, or that Moses wants them to understand. He wants them to pass it down to their children in generation after generation. Yet as we saw last week, the Lord knows that there will come a time when they will not be faithful in the covenant. Looking back at chapter 31, I know we're jumping back a little bit here. But look at chapter 31, verse 20. Yahweh tells Moses, For when I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and they are full and grown fat. In other words, I, I have, I have uh, uh, fulfilled my part of the covenant. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenants. And you and I know from our history lessons and Sunday school lessons, that that's exactly what they did. Look at verse 21. And when many evils and troubles have come upon him, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know that they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into land that I swore to give them. Their inclination is to do evil. In chapter 33, Moses gives his final blessings to 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel. You may notice as you read through that, that Simeon is left out. And for reasons that go beyond our time, I'm not going to share with you that. That would be good for your own personal time and study. But then as we come to chapter 34, ending out in Deuteronomy, we read of the death of Moses. Though he was not allowed to physically step foot into the promised land, Yahweh takes him to the top of the mountain and then to supernaturally allows him to view the expanse of the borders of the promised land. And as you come, you see that someone else had to finish the book of Deuteronomy. As Moses is dead, the finishing author of Deuteronomy states that it was Yahweh himself that buried Moses. One interesting tidbit that's not found in Moses, but found in Jude, I believe, is where Satan then comes and disputes with Michael, saying, I deserve the body of Moses. For he was wicked, he rebelled against God, but God himself said, no, this is my servant. Now, as we come to the end of Deuteronomy, <clears throat> it serves as a fitting epitaph for Moses as he is identified as a man of God and the servant of the Lord. If there can be anything on your epitaph, on your tombstone, let it be that you are a man or woman of God. Let it be that you are a servant of God, the one who served God in his generation. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, informs us in chapter 35, look, or 34, excuse me, in verse 7, look at that with me. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unbated. That's hence why I say that beginning. It wasn't that he was, when he says he can no longer come in and out, it wasn't because of old age. It says he's undimmed. 120, he, he was probably in better shape than I was. This man was climbing mountains. He was leading a people of probably 6 million. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unbated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. In verse 10, we hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. 
And there has not arisen a prophet since, since in Israel like Moses. And now think about that. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha. All of these prophets, wonderful, great, powerful men. And there was none arisen a prophet like since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all of his lands. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Here is a man who served God in his generation. We could be a man like that. We should wish or desire to be a man like that. Moses was a remarkable man of God who served God in his generation. He is immortalized in the great hall of fame of faith that's found in Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see it here on the monitor. Where the Holy Spirit once again tells us, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, he says, I I don't want to be known as the prince of Egypt. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses, when he came of age, recognized what his heritage was. And instead of taking the one that would lead him to a life of ease and pleasure and power and prestige, he says, no, I'm going to choose the reproach of God much more. That's what I desire. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. He was a remarkable man of God. And if anything out of Deuteronomy and the Torah, we could see the the, the work of God in 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 God's hand in Moses' life. He was the precursor to Christ. He was the original prophet of God, pointing us to the one that would be greater, the one who would finish what Moses began. Above all, he was a man who lived by faith, trusting that God is faithful to his promises. He is a great example for you and I to follow. He left a wonderful God-honoring legacy, not only to the Hebrew children, but for all of humanity. We now have his life immortalized in, in Scripture. And it is there for all of us to read and to learn and to follow. The rest of the Pentateuch, or I'm sorry, I'm in a little wrong place here, but he's a great example. As the author of the first five books of the Pentateuch, he revealed to us that there is one God who created all things and he is worthy of all worship and adoration. In Genesis, he recorded the rejection of God's authority and God's word when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and fell into sin, plunging the whole world under the curse of sin and death, as well as documenting the wonderful promise of God's redemption that God will restore all of creation back to himself through the woman. Now the rest of the Pentateuch, for we're closing Deuteronomy, we're closing the Torah, the Pentateuch. It shows us that his redemption plan, God's redemption plan, has come through the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Moses introduced us to the storyline of the Bible. I know here you go, you're going to wince. The prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. That's the storyline of the Bible. He's sharing with us that there will be one who will overcome. However, as Moses finishes the first five books of the Old Testament, as we close Deuteronomy, as we close the Pentateuch, we find that there are some questions unresolved. Now, remember that this is the law. This is what they were to read every, every seven years. But there's some things in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, Numbers and Deuteronomy, that are unresolved. Now, again, courtesy of the Bible Project, these are here on the screen so you can look at these questions and ponder them. Some of the questions, the first one, is that who will, this, who will the descendants of the woman come to defeat evil? Remember in Genesis 3.15, God promises the plan of redemption that out of the woman will come one who will be victorious. But as Moses introduces that, he doesn't tell us who that is. So when will the descendant of the woman come to defeat? He doesn't, we don't know. As, as we close Deuteronomy, we're left on one side of the river. We're not yet crossed into it. They're just going into the promised land. And, and even then we're wondering, well, when will the descendant? It, it, it wasn't Moses. He died. It's not going to be Joshua because they're still going to be come in there. And, and we're going to see that they may defeat the nations, but evil is not defeated. So when will that descendant of the woman come? The second question that's left unresolved is how is God going to rescue the world through Abraham's family? Again, in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham out of Ur and says, go to this land, and then he says, I'm going to bless you, and it was going to be out of your family will be the one, the Redeemer, the Messiah. There, now, he's not using those words. I'm, I'm, I'm inputting them back into the story. But who is going to be that descendant? It's going to be through your line. So again, you have the whole world, and he says there's going to be a descendant of the woman. So we say, well, where will that descendant come from? Well, now we find that it's going to come from Abraham. And eventually through the story, we know it's now going to come not through Ishmael, but through Isaac. Isaac has two sons, but we then find, as Moses tells us, that the, that the descendant, the prince, will not come from Esau, but will come from Jacob. And then we see Jacob has 12 sons and we recognize as we go through scripture, we're not there yet, but we will find that again, that descendant will come through Judah, the son of Jacob. So these questions are not yet given to us. Number three, the second, third question that's unresolved is how can a holy God be reconciled to rebellious people? <clears throat> as you and I close the Torah, the most sacred writings of the Jewish people. The words of Moses, the author of the first five books of the Bible. We still don't know how a holy God can be reconciled to rebellious people. Now, Moses did set in through the, through the, work, of, through the work of God in Exodus to Numbers. He says, well, we're going to set up a temporary system, right? And these are, these are the sacrifices, these are the festivals, the, 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 the observance of the law, the, 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 the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the, the ritual law, the cleaning laws. All these ways is how a holy place, people are going to, or a rebellious people, excuse me, are going to approach a holy God. But even then, they continue in that cycle. Remember rebellion, repentance, restoration, 
rebellion. Same like our life, isn't it? But yet we don't see how God is going to reconcile. We're going to always continue to fall. And then the fourth question that is not yet reconciled or answered in Genesis through Deuteronomy is how will God transform the hearts of the people? Now again, this glimpse is given to us in Deuteronomy 30 where God says, I will now circumcise and there will be a day when you will want, where you will come to me and you will learn from me. But that's not yet reconciled yet in Deuteronomy, in Genesis. So this is why I said earlier that the Old Testament, though, is still profitable. And it helps us become acquainted with the sacred writings. Why? Because they, they are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Genesis to Deuteronomy are foundational to the rest of Scripture. We must get past Genesis and Exodus and go to the difficult work of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy to see the foundation that will answer those questions that Moses has given us in those five books. It is here we are introduced to the important characters, the settings, the hero, the villain, and the purposes of God. It is though the Old Testament can be difficult, and it can be, and it's difficult for us to read. It can be difficult for us to understand. And it can be difficult for sometimes for us to, to interpret and then also to apply to our lives today. <clears throat> it is still important for us to include the reading of the Old Testament, including the, old, uh, the, the Pentateuch, in our daily diet of reading God's Word. It's important. It is foundational. In Deuteronomy, God is calling the Hebrew children to be faithful to the covenant of God. And it's in this way that they will be preserved and the blessings during the difficult times. Even in their rebellion, God is faithful to watch over them, to hear their cries and restore them. The reason is to point to Christ, who is the Prince, the Messiah, the Redeemer, and the Savior. Moses is speaking not only to the current Hebrew of a children in time, so it's just not just a history book, but he's also speaking to the future generation of Hebrew children in addition to us as well. The message of Deuteronomy is still relevant to Christians today as it was to Israel. We're to remain faithful and obey God's word. And in so he will bless, protect, and guide his children. We are to live lives of purity and in holiness. We are to love God with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. We are to understand that worship and obedience of God will lead to lives of justice, peace, and safety. Is this not what we, what we want for our children and for those around us? Is that not what we want for our marriages, for our families, for our neighbors, for our communities, for at work? We all desire that. Yet Israel will fail to do this. But the news is, so do we. But through Israel's failure, you and I can find that both salvation and sanctification comes through suffering. So here's the thing, our children can learn even from our failures. And to be honest, they can probably learn just as much, if not more, through our failures than they could through our successes. And I know that many times can be difficult. Hence why I believe it's important for us to hear our testimonies, to learn from each other, 
to be encouraged of how we overcame suffering through scripture, through the work of God. And I think the ladies have done this much better than the men. So kudos to you ladies who have done this through your ladies' tea. We have not as men have done this as well during our time. Now, I've had the opportunity for most of, uh, of you to hear your testimony uh, in, in many different ways. But we need to find ways of doing it, whether it's here in our assembly or in our small groups or in those matters, because our testimonies are important. We need to pass that on, encourage others. And these five books serve as examples and warning to us today. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, it's here in the monitor, you can see it with me. Now these things took place. What is he talking about? He's talking about the, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books. He says, these things took place as examples for us. And why are they examples? That we may not desire evil as they did. And do not be idolaters as some of them were. <clears throat> And what's unfortunate, many times we're like that prodigal son who doesn't listen to the father or the mother or the wisdom, the life experiences of those who've gone before us. Take your Bibles and if you would, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Like the Hebrew children, we too are children of God. If we have repented of our sin and put our trust in God, that God has accepted the work of Christ on our behalf. And I pray that if you have not yet done that, would you do so today? If you're watching us on Facebook, YouTube, whatever, if you have not done that today, would you contact us in the information? And we would love to share with you how you too can know Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Do not put it aside. But you and I need to know that we need to repent of our sin and put our trust in God. First Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now that might remind you of last week when we talked about Romans 1, do not, or Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. In the same way, Peter says the exact same thing. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance of how you were before you came to Christ. But as he who has called you holy, we spoke about the holiness of God in in our adult core class, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. These words are in here so that you and I can know the character of God and know what it means to be holy as God is holy. Can we attain to that? No. But that's what sanctification is. We are uh, progressively, day by day, becoming more like Christ and freer from our sin. You're there in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now look at chapter 2. Just as the law served to set Israel apart from the rest, rest of the nations in order for them to be a light of the Gentiles of the glory of God, the, 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 the Deuteronomy shows us how that is done. Peter informs us in 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 9, that we too are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? 
that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, we spoke of this. And I, again, if you had not seen this message, uh, go back onto our website, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and read, this, read this, uh, this message as we went through it. You and I now know why you were created. You now know why you were chosen, saved, brought to God. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is your top priority. If your children are asking, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know what career I'm going to be in. Tell them this. Above all else, you are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. That is our call. That is our duty. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What he's saying here is as sojourners and exiles, you and I, our citizenship is not here in heaven. Now, be granted, you could still vote in the United States. However, you are not uh, citizens of this world. Our citizenship in heaven, we are considered sojourners and exiles. And we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You and I know that that is going to be difficult. You and I understand that we're here today, maybe feeling the guilt and shame of how we have lost that battle today. What should you do if you lost that battle? Go back up to verse 9. Proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He goes on to say, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. How do we do that? We live differently than them. We are set apart. Our lives, like the ancient Israel's, need to be marked differently. Now that doesn't mean that we can't eat pork and we can't wear clothing of, of two different types of fabric and other types of strange and, and, and uh, ancient uh, remedies that God had given in Leviticus and Deuteronomy but we are to be holy so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and by the way, we live in that world today, they will speak of us as evildoers. They will speak against us because we are pro-life. They will speak against us because we want to meet together and sing together as a body of Christ. You're seeing this today. They will speak against us because we want to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We will say no to transgenderism and, and binaryism and, 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 and all sorts of things that, 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 that oppose the gospel of Christ. They will call us evildoers. I don't know if you remember this. I think I've shared it once before that the first New Testament Christians, they were considered as adulterers and incest because they called each other brothers and sisters, even their wives. They were thought of as cannibals because they ate the body and bread of Jesus. They considered them as rebellious towards God and atheists because they did not believe in the polytheistic gods. So they will speak against us as evildoers. Let me tell you this. Live a holy life and quit worrying about what everyone else thinks of you. Let's quit compromising. But keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In other words, the things that you lived in kindergarten, 
live them out. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. But look what he goes on. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now I take that in two different ways. I haven't done much study on that other than a couple years. But I think there's two ways in which they'll do that. One is they will see our good deeds and the way that we respond to this world. And they'll say, boy, they, 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 are, not, they are not rioting in the streets. They're not looting. They're, there's something different about how they deal with death and suffering and pain. That may lead some to Christ. And some will say, I am here because they were a man or woman of God and they were a servant of the Lord and they pointed to me Christ. It may be those who said, hey, my grandmother just shared with me Christ. She was a shining example. My mom was one that when I would get up in the morning, I could see her at 5.30 in the morning. The only time that was quiet and she was there reading her Bible, that led me to Christ. I remembered that. But also give glory and the fact that those who have treated us wrongly and badly, when they stand before God, they will do, be able to do nothing but still say, yes, he served God and I did not. For even in judgment, God is glorified. So with all of that in mind, the question remains for us today, what will you leave your children? What will you leave those who go after you? Now, Deuteronomy means the second law. We talked about that in our introduction. It means second law. That's what Deuteronomy means. It was a repeating of the law. Moses is repeating this for a new generation of Hebrew children of what was given to their parents. Their parents did not pass it on. They died in the wilderness. So he's given it to this new generation. says, now remember this. We gave them to your parents. And they took this wonderful treasure and they threw it away. And let me share with you, if there's any here today, if you have the treasure of Christ, do not bury it and hide it. Pass it on. Give it. Sadly, their parents rebelled and failed to conform to God's law. The law is the greatest thing that you can pass down to your children. Scripture calls us to remember the law, to meditate on God's law, to treasure God's law, to pass it along. Turn now to Hebrews chapter 7. We're very close to the end. We're going to be Hebrews for two passages and then one other. Excuse me, one other. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 18, in the same way that we are called to covenant faithfulness as ancient Israel was. However, you and I have something so much better than the old covenant. The old covenant, as precious as it was, had no power to transform the hearts. It could not provide what God required. The good news is that Jesus, through the new covenant, promised in Deuteronomy, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, provided all that God required of us. Hebrews chapter 7, look at verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which it we can all draw near to God. 
So the answer is how rebellious people are going to approach a holy God. God gives them this temporary sacrificial ritual system and it was able to, to, to approach God for a time, but they could not draw near to God in confidence as you as I could. So the new covenant answers those four questions that you and I did not find resolved in Moses' writing. Now then turn to Hebrews 8 verse 6, one more chapter. In chapter 8, verse 6, we are told, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than as the old, as the covenant he meditates is better. Now remember, the Holy Spirit said some wonderful things about Moses and what he accomplishes. But here we see the Holy Spirit says, But there's someone greater. There's someone better. And he has a covenant that's much, much better since it's enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So you and I are no longer that old covenant, but the new covenant. See, the answers to the questions of Moses are answered in the new covenant. That is why in communion, you and I were reminded by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took that bread. And when he had given things, he broke it, remembering of his body, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is very familiar to you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this office as you drink in remembrance of me. For in often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You and I have the basis of what you and I are to share with our children, to those around us, to our friends. The new covenant is better. And through the new covenant, we have been chosen, we have been redeemed, we have been sanctified, and one day we will be glorified. Amen? Amen. The new covenant calls us to worship God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our might, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The great commandment from the new command or the, the commandment from the from the new covenant was based and foundational from the old covenant. That's why it's important for us to read the Old Testament. And the heartbeat of the new covenant is the gospel that Jesus Christ is crucified. That he is the prince who has slayed the dragon and he has won the girl. And because that is the new covenant, the, new God, the heartbeat of the gospel, you and I are to remember it. We are to meditate on it. We are to treasure it. And we are to pass it down. Let us commit to this call of covenant faithfulness. As you and I recall the final words of Jesus to us in Matthew chapter 28. 19 through 20, you'll see it here on the monitor. You and I know it as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, very much like Moses coming to the people of Israel. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Very similar from Moses' words to the, to the uh, ancient Israel, except the way in which we will conquer is through the blood of Christ, by teaching and sharing 
the wisdom of Christ, the law of Christ. Until that day, until that day that Christ returns, let you and I respond to the call of covenant faithfulness by worshiping God through obedience to his word. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and also land in. I believe you have pastor's prayer for us this week. Would you mind coming on up and be ready to go? I just want you to take a moment to pause, to consider and pray about what we've shared, not only today, but what we've been sharing these last five years through the book of Moses, the books of Moses. They are the sacred writings that will make us wise to salvation. They're to call us to covenant faithfulness. I pray that you would do so this morning. If you have not, would you come to Christ? Come and let us tell you how you may know that you are a Christian. If you haven't been baptized, let us do so today. If you have not become a member, let's do so. And let's commit together to serving the one true and living God. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.